welcome to season two of the Shop Still podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. With Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks, Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio, and Robin Lewis from Robin Lewis Makes. Hi everyone, I hope you're all well. Welcome back to episode three, season two of Shop Still podcast. As always, I'm joined by my two co-hosts. We've got Joey Chalk from New Zealand. Joey, how are you? Good guys, how are you going? Good. And Jordan Crawford from Perth in Western Australia. Jordan, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing very well. It's good to hear. And my name is Robin Lewis and I'm in Townsville, North Queensland. So this is episode three. We've got a couple things which we are going to be talking about. Uh, the first one is something that um, happened to me recently this week and it's, it's something that I wanted to kind of share, I guess, with you guys, but also get your opinion on it because it's something that I thought I knew enough about, but I actually don't. And that is a, um, it, well, is using treated timber in your workshop. So just a little bit of background of the story. Last week I was building a bed. I was making the slats out of some decking, some treated pine decking, just thinking it's the perfect size, perfect shape, everything. And in fact, the reason I went for the, the treated pine decking was because on the underside, you've got those ribs. And I thought that's perfect to sit the mattress on because then you've got those little air gaps between the mattresses, just a nice little thing that I could use. And I put a picture of this up on Instagram and someone saw it and said, hang on, you're using treated pine um, timber or treated timber in your workshop or on something like a bed, which is pretty much a no-no. You wouldn't want to be using that um, so close to human contact. So I guess, Joey, you've, with your background, you've obviously done a lot of building in your history. Do, have, have you gone through some kind of safety briefing or do you understand the safety risks of treated timber? Well, I know what the manufacturers tell you you should be doing, certainly at least here. And they want you to always wear gloves and wear a mask whenever you're cutting it. Um, generally, generally protect your skin at all times from touching mm. it. Now, that is mainly, I think, because it comes so wet. Generally, uh, especially the because there's two types of treatment. There's LOSP, what they call LOSP, or CCA. And the LOSP stuff tends to be really wet and, like, dripping wet. And so it's, a lot of that moisture is still the treatment that's going to, dripping and left over from going through the, the pressurizing treatment. Um, and so they don't want that all over your, your skin. The CCA is generally drier, um, but is, I think, more potent. I think it has, like more, it has an arsenic base to it. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it's copper, copper, chromium, and arsenic is what's the yeah. CCA. Yeah. What does is, what is LOSP stand for? Do you know? I was just going to search it. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I thought that... Uh, the CCA was no longer, or at least getting phased out because of the arsenic, or at least the right. arsenic element of it. But I could be entirely wrong on that. Um, There's also different levels of it um, for building-wise. Certainly, the the standard minimum for building in a, a dry environment is what here they call H1.2, and then you go H3.2, which is for use outdoors, like decking, framing, where it's going to generally be dry apart from when it rains. Then you've got H4, H5, which is for in the ground, um, like piles that are actually touching the dirt and, and stuff. And so there's more treatment pretty much. They're just adding more of it and it's being treated for a longer period of time. Um, so I personally, I probably wouldn't use either of them in 
for furniture mainly because the grade is pretty awful usually mm. like the, the actual there's usually knots and stuff all through it um and like i say the lost stuff generally is really wet and i wouldn't want to use that um i don't know what you were using in particular so the stuff that i was using was cca i'm, I'm pretty sure it was cca printed on it and it was h3 so here they they use h3 as the the terminology h3 is for in-ground contact or on-ground contact isn't it which i i can't remember the grades from the top of my head but it's a pretty heavily treated one so h3 is the above ground that's what you use above for ground. decking i know then yeah. you get the h4 and 5 i thought it was now and i could be wrong i thought it was six that goes in the ground but again i think all the the regulations would be different obviously between here and new zealand but yeah h3 is what you see that's what you get from bunnings that's that's most of the outdoor timber i've just had a quick google uh, LOSP stands for Light Organic Solvent Preservative. Doesn't actually tell you tell me what's in it, but that that's what it stands for. So this was definitely CCA, and it was um, as I say H3. So my understanding of of treated timber, particularly one of one of the problems with it is, as you say, you get that contact. So particularly, I guess if it's wet, as you're saying, if it's wet, it's going to get onto your skin. When you're cutting it, it goes airborne, gets into your lungs, and that's where something that isn't an organic compound, so a non-organic compound, if that gets into your lungs, that's, that's where all your cancers start is because that can't break down. So something like regular wood dust in your lungs, your body will actually naturally process it and remove it from your lungs, but if you have yeah, something to like... To a point, yeah. Yeah, to a point, of course, but if you have something like asbestos, which is a, is a uh, your, your body can't process it, that's where your, your cancers come in. So as long as you're not cutting it, then, then you're okay. I think, I think the issue with it is off-gassing, but then you look at places like IKEA, which is just Formaldehyde City with all of their panels, like that's going to off-gas as well, yet they don't seem to think there's anything wrong with it. So to tackle the off-gassing, and this is what I've always done and I've always thought was, was reasonable, is just coat it. So as long as you put some kind of a coating on it, that's going to stop your contact um, and you, you're not going to be breathing in the fumes. So if you put a couple layers of polyurethane on it, it seals it. Now, obviously, it's not an airtight seal and it is still going to off-gas, but it just r reduces that so drastically that it's now not so much of an issue. I mean, you, you, when we talk about off-gassing, there's... It's a, a general term that has got so much nuance to it. Um, like plywoods, all plywoods are going to have off-gassing to a point, but there's safe minimums. Like the, this, the plywood, the birch plywood I get has Europe, meets the European standard, and it's such a ridiculously small amount of off-gassing that from what I understand, the test can't differentiate whether the the chemicals they're detecting is off-gassing from the plywood or the clear coat or the paint that is on that. It's such minor amounts, and I don't know why they don't do a test without clear coat on it. That doesn't make a sense to me, but that is the testing they have at this point, as far as I know. So the other, the other thing that you don't want to be doing with it then is burning. And so this, I should probably also go back a step. This is everything that I've read up on it. The other thing you shouldn't be doing is burning, which, you know, we don't need to worry too much about that. Hopefully my furniture is not going to be burning down. I think the main reason they bring that up as an issue is because when you go into, if, if your house is burned down or there's been a wildfire come through and burnt down all these houses, don't rush in there because there's going to be all this now 
this chemical, these chemicals floating around. So as long as you seal them and you, you, know, you, you, you stop that, those gases or that contact, then you should be fine. So after I got this comment, I actually went in and did a little bit more research into it. And it's, 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 the, most frustrating, it's the most frustrating thing because, and I think this, this mimics what you were just saying earlier, Joey, about all what the, what the manufacturers say versus the, the reality is you can go through all of the manufacturer's guidelines where it says it's safe as long as you do this, 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 but we recommend that you don't do this, 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 to save, to save, cover anyone's asses. So I guess that's why this confusion might come in. I know here, um, five, maybe five or 10 years ago, maybe, they, when it comes to outdoor playgrounds like um, government you know, council built ones they banned cca for those and just used lost the concern was that small kids particularly are going to end up gnawing and biting on railings and stuff like that um, and there's the same concern for babies cots the kind of paint that's used or clear coat because babies are going to end up gnawing on the, the railing um, so for bed slats that's probably almost never going to happen your the mattress is going to be covered um, so I guess my only concern would be, that I probably have two immediate concerns, any off-gassing and that whatever is on the chemical actually interacting with the cloth on the mattress or the sheets, and you could actually probably get some staining from that. But if you've clear-coated it, then um, and if it's dry, then uh, it's, it's probably fine. I would, personally wouldn't use treated timber in that scenario Um but I know why you did it. <laughs> yeah. I, I Personally, I think you should just get some lead-based paint and paint the slats yeah, and do right. that on YouTube and then get like the extra comments though. I'd go for like just straight lead bars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just holy trinity, just add it all in. I can, and I can work with my hands in, in, in open concrete at the same time while I'm yeah, putting it in. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, and, and to this guy's credit who did leave the comment, I'm glad he did bring it up because it is... Yeah. I think it is something definitely worthwhile and, and, cons and, and considering. In the end, I ended up not using them. I put them aside. I went back right. to Bunnings, got some of their, the, the, I guess what they would call your seconds of your 90 by 19 mil pine, which is right. just untreated. Yep. Yep. I didn't even put a coat on it because now it's just, it's untreated pine, so it's not going to stain. And because it's a customer project, I feel a lot better doing that. I think it probably yeah, looks I mean, that, that would be as the well. one thing that would there'll be the one thing that stops me from doing that on a customer project is better safe than sorry. But if it was my own project and I knew it was just going out on the like you know wherever, and it's a calculated thing, saying well we've sealed it, so we've got most of the most of the gas off gassing is going to be kind of contained anyway. That's fine. But if it's for a client or a customer, be safe. You'd rather not have them come back and bite you in your butt in two, three years when they come and complain about it. Yeah, absolutely. The, the project that I'm working on at the moment is using some H3 uh, plywood, some right. exterior grade plywood. And that's what I'm using as my TV cabinet upstairs. And I'm, the project that I'm working on now also uses it. And there I don't mind because it's my project. But again, obviously everything is just sealed with at least, at least one coat to to keep those nasties in mm. yeah cool all 
All right, and the next thing that I wanted to talk about, and so these are just two points that have come up over the week that I thought would be worth mentioning, and it's interesting to get some ideas bounced back and forth here, is uh, band saws, and not necessarily blade tensioning, because I know that that could take up an entire week's worth of podcasts, but the, the process of um, re, uh, taking your, or dropping the tension off your bandsaw or untensioning it um, when you're not using it. So at the end of the day, you untension your bandsaw. Jordan, is that something that you do with yours? It is not something I do on my vertical bandsaw, but it is definitely something I do on my bandsaw mill because it doesn't get used that often. Um, I This is a bit of a, a interesting point for me though because as some of you might know by now, I am working at one of the woodworking shops here once a week. Um, and I get a lot of questions about bandsaws and the amount of people that don't even know just how to set them up is quite concerning. Not like I'm not worried about releasing tension on the blade because really who who's going to do that every time? But having a poorly set up bandsaw is far worse for it than having it set up perfectly, but releasing that tension, if you know what I mean. I'd, I'd rather just get it tuned and not leave it, uh, uh, not touch it, I should say, and have it set up and you know, know it's hunky-dory than to keep coming in, releasing tension. Yeah, it shouldn't change things, but I... Uh, I personally don't do it. I can understand the argument for it, though. Well, can you explain? Because I'm, I'm not entirely sure that I see what the point is, unless you have a, re- a really long space between uses. Uh, I would say on smaller bandsaws, it would probably be more important because, like, the bandsaw material, um, like the spring steel that they're using... If it is going around, let's say, just for example, a 10-inch bandsaw or a 200mm wheel, that's actually quite a tight radius regardless. So it's going to build up quite a bit of metal fatigue. But if you're using a big bandsaw like an 18-inch, then that's not going to be the same issue. But you are going to still run into the issue of possibly creating a flat spot on your tires because rubber will get a memory. Right. Even even if it is, um, is it... Nola, nolathane, whatever the synthetic material is. Um, potentially, it could could cause that. But really, I all I can see it being a bad thing is because you have a spring-loaded arm in there is it could potentially make that spring wear out a bit quicker, having it always under tension. But, I mean, I, I honestly can't think of a single real life use case other than having it on a very small bandsaw that an average DIY or even like a heavy use, um, let's call them enthusiast, would run into issues. So, so I've got uh, the Jet 18-inch saw and it's very easy. It's got a big arm on the back of it. It's very easy to take the tension off. My issue with it is the way I set it up, and not so much for the big ripping blade, but for medium and small blades, is the bearing guides are right behind the gullet of the kerf. And the uh, vertical wheel, guide wheel thrust is... bearing. Yeah, the thrust bearings are only a mil back, or half a mil. So, as you, so the blade's not touching that thrust bearing until some load comes onto it, and then it touches, and the bearing is 
really close. The the guide bearings are really close to touching the the set of the saw, but it's not quite enough. So the blade over its depth has got maximum uh, support. So I think I think we all want to understand that. So now, as soon as I uh, take the tension off, the blade's going to shift on the wheel, and the tracking's going to be altered. So when I tension it back up, I'm going to have to. I know it's not massive, but I would have to kind of re-check it and jig it, and it's going to take an extra, whatever, five minutes, whereas um, my cut might only be 10 seconds. In in theory, the way that you have a domed or a crowned uh, tire on bandsaws is that it will self-align that blade because it was always going to want to track to the highest point. So in theory, that shouldn't be an issue, but in practice... If your if your if your uh, wheels are not dead co coplanar or something, just you know mm. a bit of dust falls in and something changes, like it could throw that out, which does mean giving it a quick once over again. Mm. I mean, and I don't think your wheels are ever dead coplanar. My understanding of setting up your your wheels is your bottom wheel, you never adjust your top wheel you adjust yeah. and then whatever it sits on your bottom wheel is fine we're not too worried but it's on the top wheel that you're getting your gullets directly in the center of the yeah. blade that's always been my understanding of how you set it yeah. up yeah i mean for for me i tend to make sure that the the wheels are uh, let's say is it the y axis no the x axis so if you're looking at the saw and you draw a line across the horizon if your bottom wheel and your top wheel aren't kind of in the same plane in that regards, mm. then you're going to have a problem. It's never going to want to track properly. You will be able to, the tracking is adjusted by tilting the top wheel to get the blade to be, you know, on the crown of the of the tire. Um, so, so it is still something that you set, but once it's set, you shouldn't ever have to touch that bottom wheel. And from the factory, they're generally yeah. set up anyway. Um, this is yeah. this is actually touching on an issue I've been having, which is slightly it's related but different. And that, um, and I think I'm thinking about it now. It's a manufacturer's fault where I'm putting the biggest size blade on that they say 30 mil, one TPI ripping blade, and I can't actually get the gullet of the tooth in the crown of the wheel because the wheel's not deep enough at the back, and so. The front, so the the blades hanging forward of the center of the wheel by, um, you know, an extra six mil or so. Yeah. And what I mean, if you look at a, a resaw bandsaw, so a specific, you know, they're, they're crazy. They actually will have a flat grind, uh, a flat tire, so they're not crowned, but it's the tuning of them. Well, that's what I I think I really want on this one because. Um, yeah, I'm finding that the front edge is wavering and I can't control it enough because the bearings, the guide bearings don't come forward enough for this. But the cut on it is like so outrageous. I can whip through, you know, a 200 mil rip uh, in just, you know, 30 seconds. It's just yeah, straight through. Um. I am so glad to hear you saying this, Joey, because I have <laughs> the exact same, um, not, not necessarily issues, but but questions, my, so I've just put on a 19 mil uh, blade. So it's not quite as big as that one that you put on. I saw a picture of that yeah. on, on Instagram. It's not quite as big, but it's the maximum of the, of the bandsaw because I've got right. a 14 inch. And the, 
the the gullet sits so far ahead of those those two side bearings, and yeah. I try to pull them out as and get as much as I can, but it's it's never going to. Yeah. It's never going to be enough. And it's just there's a, a, an annoying amount of wobble, and so it's increased the theoretical kerf on my saw from about three mil to four four and a half mil, which is a fairly big cut. But in terms of ripping. Um, it's okay. It's not great for getting veneers off because um, I'm losing probably you know a third uh, of possibilities. But um, it, like I say, the speed of cut for the giant teeth on that thing it makes it worthwhile. Now going back to the tensioning and and the and the undoing of the tension, one of the concerns that I thought would have been an issue is the fact that your that's that um, let's call it the backbone of the bandsaw is now constantly under tension and that's slowly going to give over time. So you're undoing that tension to give that a break or is, is that even, not even something that you, you should consider? I, th I think if you've got that much tension on your blade that you're gonna cause metal fatigue on let's say a, a three mil thick piece of steel that runs up the spine with reinforced ribs, You've got your tension set wrong. Um, you got you got other uh, problems when that blade gives. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go pants. bang. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know uh, on my jets uh, saw it's actually a triangular section. Um, the vertical beam is a triangle with with ribs in it, and there's no way that's moving. So I nearly got that saw, that 18 inch, and I was right. ready to click the buy button. And I thought, <laughs> you know, most of my ceiling is 2.1 height, but I've got the, that's the joist height. I've still got the bearers ran downstairs right. and my, <laughs> my bearers are actually too low. So I wouldn't have been able to get yeah, it through right. the door. What about your but door yeah, height? <laughs> what, a, what a cool saw that is though. Just the size of it is, I must say, having the 14 inch with the, um, it's got an extended, what would you call it, mouth or, or throat? more than enough for me I, it's i'm pretty happy with it but yeah that 18 inch jet looked like a pretty a pretty decent saw did you go the uh i saw the photo did you go the variable speed or just the standard on those it has two speeds but i've got to change the pulley and it's down the, at the bottom yeah right yeah i've never done it because i can't be bothered no i just keep it on fast yeah <laughs> Just put a, uh, what's, the, what's the rave at the moment? Um, treadmill motors or something on every machine and you can run off that <laughs> variable variable speed with a treadmill motor. Oh, right. Yeah. I kind of <laughs> want to do that on a drill press because I think it's kind of cool. But So one of the, the, the reasons why I'm asking this question is because this week I had a bit of a, a nervous moment where, so I've been, every time I've been finishing with my bandsaw, instead of dropping the arm, because I've done that once and then fired up the saw while the arm's been up, sorry, I should say. And everything's just gone crazy and the, band, the, saw, the, the bands come off the saw and everything. So I decided not to do that because that's just too much risk. I've been actually undoing the wheel underneath. So, you know, you drop it, you drop the tension like that. And so every time I'm about to use it, I, I wind up the tension. And then when I'm finished for the day, I loosen it off. And this week, all of a sudden I used it and it was, I tensioned it up. I was using it and all of a sudden the blade just, the, the, the band just came off. And the only thing it I can- It snapped or no, popped off the wheel? It just popped off the wheel. Okay. So the only thing I can think is, now going back to what you were saying about the, the, the blade because of its width sitting on the wheel, that could be something to do with it. It's too far back on the wheel, so it's come off. But I wondered if this constant shifting up and down of that, that wheel is just inviting that movement for it to fall off. 
I mean, I think the way that those, um, oh God, I can't, I know the name for it, just can't remember. The, the name of the actual mechanism that the, the wheel's on, which allows the tilt and stuff. Um, when you release that tension, it's kind of on a clapper. So you're actually going to change the angle of the wheel when there's no tension versus when there is tension. So if something shifts in that location, so when it popped off, was it after using it for a bit or did it just pop off when you turned it on for the first time? I'd fed about 200 mil in of a board so and then it, it came should off. have, uh-huh. yeah, you'd think it would have tracked back to true then by that. Like, you know, it only takes one or two turns. So that's kind of strange. Did it pop off on the front or the back? So towards the housing I don't, or towards the guard? I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think back because in, in the panic, um, yeah, I just switched it off and, and, yeah, I didn't actually pick that up. I think, I think it was the back. I think it was the back, which would make sense because I've got my blade set so far back because of its width. But I, I so think the, it was the back. Yeah. So what I reckon what would have happened is that when you release the tension, the blade jumped back on the wheel. So when you put tension back in, you were tensioning it, but you're pulling it away from its kind of fulcrum point because mm. it only it only wants to lean forward if you've got a sex you always have the tension kind of on the center or just to the front of center of that wheel so you probably just had it skip back a bit and when you tension it up it kind of straightened the wheel out too far and bang i don't think there's room in my one for it to come off the back but yeah it would make a bang but i yeah i don't think there's enough room in my one uh for it to, to slip off backwards because maybe it anyway, didn't. I don't know. Yeah, who but, knows? <laughs> but with that in mind, I, it's one of those when you think about unt- taking the tension off. In theory, it makes a whole lot of sense because, of course, you'd want to release the tension, why wouldn't you? But it just seems like there's so many of these issues that have cropped up with it since I've been doing that. That is your net goal. Is it worth it? I don't know. But time is my um, factor, and um, if I can just walk over to my saw and turn it on. And it goes, that's what I want it to do. And if one day the band, the, the blade snaps because I left it on for a year like that, then fine, I'll get a new blade. I think it also comes down to kind of safety because if, like, I mean, for Robin in your shop, you're the only one there. So in, you would only have yourself to blame if you turned on your saw and you forgot that it wasn't tensioned and something goes awry. But if you're in a shop like mine where I have guys that can come in and, and use my saw that I trust or Joey who has a, a helper as well, like you can't be changing the setup of a saw every single time you go to use it. Like that's, that's like a recipe for disaster. If it's not going to, it's probably not going to kill anyone, but it's likely to hurt the saw. It was just so interesting this, when I was researching this just going through the comments. Yep, absolutely. Yep, definitely. I've got a sticker on my on the power button to remind me. You know, it was coming across like, of course, we we I take the tension off. Why wouldn't you? It makes so much sense to. So it's it's really interesting. I think what obviously what you guys are saying makes sense, and I think it comes back to that. Yes, in theory, but in practicality, no. I remember I was one of the the projects that I was working on probably about a year ago, was using some old painted hardwood, which I turned into a dining table. And I think we might have actually even had this conversation on the show where I wanted to get the paint off and, and thickness all the boards down. And I think it was, it might have even been Cuffy that said it. Don't run that through your thicknesser because the paint or the lead in the paint, I think it was, is going to damage your, damage your, your blades. 
But yeah. I think the reality or is, tell them. or tell them, yeah, I'd still be, I'd still be standing there today if I hadn't just said yeah. stuff it and run that, run them through. You just got to do it, and there's a pair of blades gone, but you've got it done in ten minutes. Yeah, don't, don't yeah. worry about checking for for uh, nails either. It's fine. No. Yeah, just do it. Your blade, your blades will cut through a certain amount of nails, and then you realise when you get these big grooves in it that you should probably change your blade. They <laughs> yeah. love those little zinc ones. I don't. Uh, they're as soft as anything. They come up real shiny. I did a flattening job with a router a few months ago, and I used some some of the square stock steel. It's a really nice size. It's about 40 or 50 mil square tube, so it's quite flat as well. And the number of times I just went straight into it with the router, <laughs> my router bit is absolutely chewed. It still works. It's just a yeah. little more burning than it was, but it still works. Oh, I think mild steel is softer than some of our hardwoods, personally. I'd rather go use a planing bit on a uh, bit of mild steel than a bit of chew it, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> okay, so what we might do then is just have a, uh, a bit of a chat about some of the segments that we, I think we kind of alluded to this in the beginning, in the first episode that we were gonna have these segments that we were gonna be talking about on the show. So we've got a number of them that we'll probably just start working through. And then those that we don't get to, we'll catch up on some of the later episodes. So um, in terms of projects that we're working on, what's everyone wor working on? Jordan, are you up to anything interesting? Uh, I wouldn't say it's interesting. It's more part <laughs> of that. Uh, because I'm making stuff and shipping it out all the time, I've just been working on a packing area and trying to refine the process that I use. So, you know, make it less going from point A to point B and making it an area which everything is in and I can find. So it's pretty boring, really, for, for the most part. Is that from like a manufacturing perspective? So you want to make it, you know, you go from here to here to here to here and then you've got everything. Yeah. Pretty much, it's so like. Let's say that I, I laser cut something. I want to be able to pick it, pick the raw stock off the shelf, put it into the laser, and then once it's cut, I take it from the laser and just turn around and put it on the bench, which has like all of my cardboard boxes, all of my tapes, all my packing material, shrink wrap, and then it can slide along that bench and get each step of the way. So labeling, blah blah blah. It, it's a pretty um, mundane thing. It's not exciting. But it does go a super long way useful. For, yeah, like workflow, it makes it just easy. Uh, and it also means that when something's finished cutting, I take it out, I load it back up, and in the time that that takes to cut, the next thing's packed and ready to go. So it's efficiency more than anything. Um, it, it's mundane as all hell, but it's an important step of running a workshop. And uh, I'm, I'm actually excited for it, which is just how sad I am right now. I'm excited about having things. <laughs> But it's so important that that kind of that kind of process organization. We talked we 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 talked about it a bit on the last podcast where that's what I was spending my time doing was just organizing my process in the shop. Which while mine is slightly different in terms of um, tidying and getting everything in the right place, I think it's 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 about it's along the same lines. This week has been amazing. I've I've just wanted to be down here. I've wanted to be in my shop because it's a pleasant place to be. Yeah. Oh, it makes a huge difference when you know where everything is as well. Instead of spending 10 minutes looking for that tape measure, you actually, you actually get in and you start working right away. Yeah, yeah. Joey, how about you? I saw on Instagram that the doors are done. Yeah, that's um, done and dusted and have not even thought about it. That install was a little bit tricky because uh, it was a corner pantry unit and 
both of the walls leaned in towards the pantry by 25 mil over the length of the pantry, which is 2.5. And so I had to make these really awkward diagonal ripping cuts to my uh, scribers on each side, which so my pantry is sitting nice and plumb and scribed into two bent walls. And it just looks a bit odd with lines, angles running up the wall, but you can't do anything about that. Um, it's like a, uh, a Amsterdam house. They've all got the... T- aren't they all tilted into each other? All the walls? I think it's an yeah, Amsterdam. They're, they're, they're basically <laughs> all sitting on mud, so I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. they... Because they're so close to the water. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they were. But so um, I guess this will run into kind of three of our topics, I guess, uh, our little segments, in that I've had so much work come in. I'm like ridiculous amounts of emails and people just seem to be wanting to get stuff started Uh, i've been like trying to triage what jobs and what emails i even respond to like uh i'm like kind of picking like the best looking ones and going to them first um so i've got this giant job lined up for a local council to make their reception desk and i have to have that out by the 9th but this other job came in, which was a, a like essentially a bird cage, but it's like a, a wooden framed and perspex kind of display box. Not cage for an actual for bird. bird. Yeah, actual real life birds. Oh, right. I'm not sure there's uh, air holes. Two in of them. It. Yeah, lots of air holes in it. They like um, air. But it's made in a really nice style. Like, and so I thought I'll just smash that out. Just take me a couple of days, and then I, I can get my head around this other big job which I'm meant to be starting now, but I'll just, I'll just take a couple of days, do this big, this birdcage. Um, I got halfway through it and realized I was doing another three-way mitre job on it. So um, <laughs> it's like, what am I doing? Um, but I just put it together this morning and the three-way mitres on this thing worked out perfectly and I'm super happy with that. So it's like my personal win for the day was to actually achieve like for a, quite a large box uh, with essentially just lots of frame and panels, but the panels are perspex, and I've just like mitered the whole box, big box together, so um, it's going to look pretty cool, I think. Is that are those mitres better this time? Because I remember last week you were saying that the 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 table that you made they weren't as bang on as you wanted them. Was this because you used a different method, or was I there don't a know. I actually, I no, not really. Uh, I kind of just cut everything to the theoretical size and make sure everything was nice and square off my saw and um i dry fitted it and it just just went together (laughs) i was like holy crap all right get some glue in there (laughs) quick Um, before it changes yeah so because you've um, got you've got a a festool uh chop saw you said didn't you yeah but uh, this these are all big panels so these are long mitres too these are this is like 1200 wide 900 tall um, oh, and so, so you're each, not using your chop saw then to cut then to no, cut no, the so I'm right. doing it on the off the table saw, off my, off my uh, hammer, and so um, yeah, I just they say. I just went together. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. But so you're doing uh, sorry when when you're saying three way Marty, you mean it's mitered corners and fronts or backs, right? Is that so? It's the, a, the backs, so yeah. the top, the sides are all mitered. Yeah, except yeah. the front is open, and I'm putting doors in the front. Um, that's so because I can have that's that's so the frame doesn't become too big and you actually can see the bird otherwise um, if you put too much framing in 
uh, you end up with like a hundred mil of border everywhere, and you can't actually see the bird. So if I miter everything together. I just get an extra little bit more visibility for the animal inside. Yeah, and I guess because then being mitered, you've oh, mind you, how are you going to be? How are you going to secure the end? Would there be because there'd be an end grain section as well along one of those edges? So how are you strengthening that? No, because I've got everything's frame and panel, so there's essentially like long styles and cross rails. Oh, so right, okay, got, like, got you, right. And so all the end grains hidden inside the, the panel. So yep. it's all, um, it's a yeah, it's a bit of a mind, uh, you know what? But um, are you doing a video works. of it? No, I don't have a time, but I'm. I've taken a few photos, and it, when I get to a point where it looks half decent, I'll put them on Instagram. So what else? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm actually really interested in seeing that. I, I like bird yeah. cages and cool. birds. Very good. And, and just normal cages too. Although was, I kind of felt a bit weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I was halfway through it, and I was like, I'm, I'm making a little jail for someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, just this, this halfway through, just this existential crisis. Like, where is my yeah. life going that I'm building it? I was like, <laughs> do I actually agree with keeping birds in cages, even if it's reasonable size? Yeah. It's like, mm. so, I mean, you could just you justify it by saying it's just its overnight cage. It's fine. Uh-huh. It's, it's out and about right. during the day. <laughs> it wants to be there. That's what I tell myself yeah. every time I have to right. like close the door on my dog and say, "No, no, it's fine. You're just there for, for today." And, and it's like not like my dog is like in a cage either. She's got free reign of the house. It's just that I'm going out. Um, so that's really good to hear, though, Joey. You were talking last week about how, in the week before, how it's been so quiet. So it's good to hear then that it's the other way around. I can't believe it, to be honest, and I'm stressing a bit because I've got so much, like one job I went to visit today, uh, this week for an old client, she said, come and I want you to measure up for my wardrobe. Okay. Come and did that plus eight other jobs in the house. So, uh, like nine jobs from one old client. And it's like, I don't even have time to draw this up. They learn the other 10 that just rolled in yesterday. Um, I don't know what to do exactly about that. I'm just trying to get work done and I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. What are the customers like in, or the clients like in terms of saying, well, I can get this done, but it's going to be two months from now? Are they most, all... most of them are happy. Yeah. Everyone's fine. It's just personally, I hate to have this backlog of things, that this big to-do list. I, I, I'm okay with five to-dos or five quotes, but I'm not so good with 15 or 20. And by the time I get around to them, they're going to be like, uh, it's been weeks since I emailed you about this. Um, and that really annoys me that I can't get back to them sooner. And I but, guess as well, then any problems along the way, and they all start to bank up to each other. And then your last yeah. one is now six months down the line instead of six weeks. That's, yeah, I try not to give hard dates when I get more than a month booked. But I'm like, okay, I'll, I'm booking you in for this week of the month. And I usually give myself kind of two or three days between each job when I book it just to allow for actually delivery and to, you know, overruns. So I don't, everything doesn't knock on necessarily. It also means if everything runs perfectly, I get it to the client faster than I said I would, which is always good. All right. So I've been, I've been working on this, I'm going to call it cube storage unit. It's just a very simple plywood box with six boxes within it 
and then some more plywood boxes which are going to sit inside it and the idea is that these are removable. I started this project probably about six months ago and then all this work came in because this is a personal project this is for me all of this work came in which took precedence obviously so I've come back to this the problem is I've got to it now and I'm just thinking oh I've got I've had so many cool ideas over those six months where I want to put my time but you've just got this half finished carcass sitting in your in your workshop so I'm just trying to burn through this as quickly as I can so the idea is it's got these six square openings and within those are going to be plywood bins that I'm going to put some felt tape underneath and they're just going to slide in and then slide out so the idea being for the little one when she wants some of her toys she just slides the bin out she can take it wherever she wants around the house hopefully it stays in the house I'm not optimistic and then she can just pull the toys out as she wants them then at the at the end of the day put the toys back in put the drawers back in the only problem I've had is I haven't got my measurements quite right. So I've got a feeling every drawer is going to have a specific spot <laughs> on, yeah. on the thing, which is going to make life interesting. But yeah, I'm that's hoping good for, this weekend That's, that's good for teaching counting. You're, yeah, well, you're, well, not, that, um, you're not with table saw yet, are you? You no. aren't bandsaw over table saw. Correct. So you're, yeah, you're, you're cutting them all. all my, taking it with a circular saw? Yeah, so all of my yeah. dados for the shelves are cut with, um, hand measured and then cut with a router and then all of the panels for the boxes are cut luckily these boxes are just shallow enough I think they're about 150 and my chop saw is 154 so I could chop and cut <laughs> those which was quite lucky but then all the front panels are circular saw so this is yeah definitely one of those things where table saw would have been magic yep. yeah wow but yeah, so I'll be finishing off that this week. Finishing and lead-based paint and uh, treated fine, I hope. And that's, that's kind of why I was interested in, in talking about this because yesterday while I was sanding down this plywood to get a nice smooth finish, all of a sudden now I'm a lot more conscious of it. I've got my <laughs> extractor going. I've got yeah. that, that really cool. Have you guys seen this dust mask that I've been using? Oh, they've been flying out the door, mate. <laughs> yeah, have they? I wouldn't be surprised. So for I've seen, I think I have one. I've got one yonks ago. So it's this thing. For, so for those of you who don't know, yeah. I've been doing some work with Timbercon promoting some of their products, and this is a powered dust mask. So what happens is there's a, a little fan on the inside, and you switch it on, and then it blows, it pulls air into the mask for you instead of passively drawing it through the filter. Yeah, it creates positive pressure. So if there's any gaps, um, dust can't get in because exactly. it's blowing out of it. <clears throat> what yeah, a, what a cool thing. But they're, they're very common amongst uh, like older wood turners, actually. They, they tend to love them. Um, but yeah, it's funny that when you popped up on the Timbercon channel, I was actually sitting behind the desk at Timbercon. <laughs> but wait, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was quite a quite a funny uh, coincidence. I've got one of those. I got it when I first moved into this workshop, so five six years ago, and I used it full time for like six months, and then I stopped because yeah. it was annoying having that cable and batteries. And I was like, ah, just I'll just hold my breath. <laughs> the, one, the one that I really want to try is the I think it's called Air Shield, where it's the full visor with the forced air intake because I. I feel like that would be less, even though it's way bigger, I feel like it would be less 
cumbersome to have on you with a cable and I don't know, doesn't matter. Yeah, I have got the cable hooked once, but I think the real test is gonna be with the batteries because I've got rechargeables in there. So between the, between the points of taking them out and putting them on to charge and actually putting them back in, that could be a very extending period of time where the, I go back to the old faithful. But yeah, all of a sudden now, I'm, I'm, when I'm working with this, C, which I presume is um, CCA, H3 plywood, I'm, I'm a lot more paranoid about it than I was before. All right, so I guess we're probably gonna have to leave it there because it um, looks like we're out of time already. I'll just give a quick news. Um, my channel in Spanish, my YouTube channel, King Post Timberworks Espanol, has got six and a half thousand subscribers. And one of the videos, my floating bed video, has got 170,000 views <laughs> in two months or something, um, wow. which is outrageous. So thanks to I, all you Spaniards. I actually uh, <laughs> went over to that channel after you told me about that. And yeah. I, I watched the videos in Hall, even though I've seen them before. <laughs> I was thinking, this is really not the best use of my time. But, yeah. but it was kind of funny. It was, it was interesting. Um, like the, the people who are running it actually have been trying to get a hold of me. Just they always email me, ask, they want to do a meeting, something or other to discuss promoting, blah, blah, blah. And I just don't have the time. So... I don't know how well that's going to go down, but I do not have the time to talk to them about promoting a YouTube channel. I don't have any real say over, so... Um, yeah. yeah. But that's some really good growth, though, for that short yeah, it's crazy. It's really yep, good. I was pretty happy with that. Not that it really makes a difference to me, but <laughs> interesting. Well, it does. I mean, you're getting a small portion of that. Yeah. I'll get, I get 50% of the revenue whenever it starts earning revenue. So, so at that rate, we're going to have to start... Um, we're going to have to lock you into a contract, Joey. <laughs> your time's too precious. You're going to be you, you spending your... you to pay us to be on this show. That's right. <laughs> You're going to spe be spending your Thursday afternoons learning Spanish. So. <laughs> Maybe I can get them to translate the podcast into Spanish. Yeah. El Shopstool, po El Shopstool podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, to everyone listening, I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, please go ahead and give it a rating on iTunes. That really does help us out. The Shopstool podcast is available on iTunes and most other podcast apps as well as YouTube. Joey and Jordan, it's a pleasure as always. My name is Robin Lewis. Take care, everyone, and we will see you in the next show. See you, guys. Catch you.